You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And hello, everybody, as we are born on your Tuesday edition of Locked On Browns. Oh, we're going to get to a lot here today, and I'm really, really excited about this guest. As you guys can tell, a little fired up here early, and it's certainly not about our New York Mets lineup. We're not excited about that by any means whatsoever. Tuesday's Locked On Browns is brought to you by the Peacock and Williamson Show. Brian and Matt do a fantastic job, part of our Locked On NFL family here. Uh, So they are sponsoring, they are the sponsor of the Tuesday edition of Locked On Browns, available on Spotify, on Odyssey, and I'll put iTunes back first in this when they can get the feed for Locked On Browns corrected and get us back on Apple Podcasts. Our guest here this evening, a good friend I've known for a long time, and just watching the maturation of his growth process in this industry, um, it's been fantastic. And and knowing him and talking with him as it's gone through, uh, a mainstay now for the NFL draft coverage over at BR. He's done a fantastic job uh, teaming with Joe Caparoso and the other guys over at Turn On The Jets to you know, just help that site launch go to even greater heights. And even here, local-wise, SNY TV in the tri-state area covering the NFL draft. Mr. Connor Rogers, buddy, it's been too long. Of course, Jeff. I know, man, for real. It's been a while, but this is our annual tradition, at least recap after the draft. So I appreciate you having me. It's always great to talk to you, man. And uh, I'm, ex- I'm excited, dude. I really am. I'm not excited about our, our uh, Scrap Heap Mets lineup at the moment, but I am excited for the Browns. I'll admit that. Uh, yeah, well, there is that. I mean, you know, and the Mets went from something promising to now throwing out a lineup that looks like the second day of spring training. But that's another story for another day. And I'll make sure that there's enough beer in the fridge to choke through this uh, nine inning affair with the Braves tonight, starting at seven o'clock. Um, kind of like you said. Um, and I think the thing is, you know, for such a young general manager, um, first time head coach, and now the second time through the process, um, the patience of kind of letting the draft fall to them. Uh, knowing what their needs are, the, the need for cornerback was huge. And we had talked about this a little bit, you know, during the draft itself, um, greedy Williams, and it's twofold with greedy Williams, obviously didn't play at all last season. And the other thing is greedy Williams was not part of this regime brought in. So they, they need to go get another one of their guys. Um, everybody felt confident, I think with the top three cornerbacks in this class. And I think everybody felt pretty confident in this cornerback class on a whole, but once you got to about four through 10, you could have sat and talked with five, six different people and gotten various, various players between four through 10. They end up getting, uh, leaving after his junior year, uh, Greg Newsom the second, obviously from Northwestern University. Uh, you know, he's got some length to him, got some size to him, which was kind of the calling card for some of the top cornerbacks in this class. Some couple thoughts here on Greg Newsom. Yeah, absolutely. Well, number one, it's a great spot. And when you're the Browns, you know, they kind of fascinated me throughout this draft process because they were one of the rare teams. I think the Bills were kind of in a very similar spot, mm-hmm. too. Rookie quarterback contract, very talented roster that has been supplemented by free agency and recently good drafts, uh, good GMing, and promising younger coaches, right? So I saw the parallels between those two teams where they were heading into this draft and, like the Bills, picking at the end of round one where you're looking at – sure, they have their needs, but you could also go best player available approach – and feel good about the talent you walk away with. Now, Jeff, I talked about this with you a couple of weeks leading up to the draft. You know, I put Zayvon Collins to the Browns at one point. I think the reaction was not overwhelmingly exciting because, you know, Browns <laughs> fans are like corner, corner, corner. And my question always leading up to this was, well, if they, you know, they could have moved around if they wanted to. But if they sat there at 26, 
which one would fall to them, if any, in, in such a league that's starved for corners, starved for guys with length and speed, which Newsom obviously has. We knew Farley has that, uh, Sertain and Horn. I mean, like you said, the top four talent-wise and, and traits-wise, it was all there. Now, the question with Farley was obviously the back. And to a lesser degree, Newsom has health questions as well. Because Certainly. he's, you know, he's missed 14 games over three years. And it wasn't like he had one full clean year. It was, it was games here and there throughout those three years. That's the only reason I could think he fell to this spot. Because on tape, really everything's there. You can nitpick that he gets grabby and has penalties at times. But quite frankly, he was a shutdown corner. Quarterbacks really stopped looking his way. There just wasn't a lot of targets his way towards the end there. And I think plays the ball really well in the air. Uh, really instinctive. Understands how to play off the man and read the quarterback and click and close downhill on the ball can carry wide receivers down the field because that deep speed exists. The length exists to compete at the catch point, which is such a big adjustment at the next level. So what I liked about Newsom, and this was kind of similar, I thought at least for Horn and certain to an extent, you know, kind of scheme diverse corners that they can really give you a little bit of everything, depending on what you're asking of them. And for the Browns, they didn't have in my eyes, overwhelmingly glaring needs. But after speaking with you, it was like, well, that's interesting about Greedy that, sure, he can come in and surprise people this year, but do you want to rely on him and write him in ink as a starter? Now you have someone in Newsom that will obviously compete with him. Uh, assuming he's healthy, he should see starter-level reps. And when he's on the field, he plays the position at a very high level. And it's similar, though, because they go through this, uh, you know, Greedy Williams certainly has missed time. And as great of a player Denzel Ward is, this is another calling card there as well. I mean, you know, there's no way around it. Denzel Ward has missed time. So between the three of them, I think what you're hoping is, hey, look, at least we get hopefully we got two of them week in, week out. Round two comes around. And I think a lot of people were surprised that uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa didn't go round one. And. I think one of the things that got a little confused, and when you have a reputation as being a big hitter, people tend not so much to say, you know, look and say, oh, well, there is some missed tackles. And which was one thing, you know, that JLK kind of had on his resume. It wasn't that bad, um, but it certainly brings physicality, great, uh, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage. And we're going to get to this, you know, a little bit more in the third segment because the Browns did this. So did the Jets as well. And this is kind of what I was getting to more and more, Connor, as we were having our talks about the linebacker position is there's defensive coordinators now that are saying, well, look, you know, what's the difference between a 220 pound safety and a 230 pound linebacker? If I can get the 220 pound safety, who's maybe a little bit faster than a 230 pound linebacker, I can maybe do more with him. And when, you know, with Joe Woods wants to play a lot of safeties, uh, uh, you know, Woo, that's what, what the nickname is now. I'm still trying to get used to it. JOK, Woo is what we're going with here, Browns fans, is, is just having the versatility. And the thing is, is when you're going to play three safeties and you want to play a lot of nickel and dime and you have players that can do similar things, you're trying to do everything you can to at least mask coverage, confuse the quarterback, because, you know, you don't want him standing at the line of scrimmage, you know, for 12 seconds saying, I know everything that's going to go on. I can wink to this guy to my left. I can motion to my tight end so I can adjust everything on the fly to get it exactly what I want. You can't do that when you have so many guys who can play closer to the line of scrimmage, but do have some skills where they can play defensive back as well. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it, right? That's the way the league's going. You're seeing a league where, you know, quite frankly, the typical usage or defensive coordinator or head coach, whoever's calling the defense, 
really doesn't run three linebacker packages, traditional linebacker packages anymore. You see ton of two linebacker ton. Of, I mean, they just need more DBs on the field because quite frankly, teams are spreading them out. They're getting more wide receivers on the field. Even when they're putting now the, the trend, I don't know if it's trend, but it's definitely, you can see a certain direction teams are going. It is these big slots or move tight ends. And you need matchup players for those guys, Jeff. And who are those guys? They're what, you know, typically people like to label as tweeners. I don't know if they're tweeners anymore because there's a clear cut role defined for them on the field. They're all around 6'1", 6'2", 220, like you said. And this draft had plenty of them. Ironically, you brought up the Jets earlier. They took two of them. And Hamza Nasruddin, which I know a player you're very familiar with at Florida State. And, and then you have Sherwood out of Auburn. So, and then the Browns went a similar strategy, but instead of, you know, doubling up late, they got a value one uh, early, you know, in the second round, they got him at pick 52 overall, which I thought was crazy for somebody I thought was a top 20 player in this draft. And, and I think Owusu Koromoa is just the entire package at this Swiss Army Knife spot, right? The versatility reminds me of Jeremy Chin, a player that had a tremendous mm-hmm. rookie season for the Panthers. And Chin has a little bit more length, but they're built somewhat the same besides that. And they move the same. These are guys that are better at slipping blocks than running through them. And I think back in the day that was miscategorized as a deficiency where nowadays it's, it's not, if you just get through the blocks, right? Find your way to the ball carrier, find your way in coverage. Now with Owusu Koromoa, this was truly, this was one of my favorite value picks in the entire draft. Getting him this late, a player that should have went not just in the first round, but I thought he could have even been played for like a Washington, teams like that. They just wanted more athleticism in the middle of the field. He's done so much already. You've seen him cover in the slot. You've seen him play in the box. You can use him as a downhill blitzer. He can match up with tight ends. He can match up with running backs. He, he You don't lose anything in the run with him. That's usually the trick with these guys, right? You put these, these hybrid safeties in the box as third linebackers, and then you feel like, well, they might target him in the run. What if a guard or a center can climb to him at the second level? Or what if he just can't see, find the ball carrier because he's not used to playing in the mud like that? You don't lose anything with JOK in that area. So I, I'm truly one of the players that I am looking forward to watching his film every week because he went to a situation where you don't really ask him to be a hero, right? You look at his defense. you got dogs up front. You have veteran talent in the secondary. You added a player in Newsom at corner where – Sure. Is he maybe the guy in the middle of the field that you just ask to run around and make plays and run and chase? And and there'll be a lot on his shoulders because how versatile he is. It increases his role. But he's a high character guy, a, a smart guy, high work ethic. I really can't wait to see him in a defense that I think is very well coached, where once again, he doesn't have, have to be this hero, but he has the freedom to make the plays. And he doesn't come in with first round expectations anymore, which is nuts. So Truly, not just saying it because we're here right now. When this happened, I, I took so long on day two. I'm like, why is he still on the board? Why is he still on the board? And, and for the Browns, they just make out like complete bandits with this pick. And there is, you know, one other factor to this too is, is you know, they're, they're going to deal with Lamar Jackson for a long, long time. And if they want oh, yeah. to use Lamar as design runs, you got to find – players who are going to play close to the line of scrimmage who can run with them. Their linebacker, you know, Malcolm Smith was once a very athletic running back. I mean, linebacker, but we're talking about a guy now who's, you know, 31 years old. You know, the, the speed is just not there. But the thing with Jeremiah Usu koromoa if it's going to come one-on-one in a hole, Lamar's going to take a slide because it's going to be a business decision because Jeremiah Usu koromoa is not going to care. Oh, if you want to play like a running back, that means I get to hit you like a running back. And that may not be the most favorable situation 
for the Ravens. We're going to get to a little bit more here with Connor Rogers from Bleacher Report. Uh, we're going to get to, uh, you know, obviously the uh, the round three and what, what the Browns did on day three here. Then uh, we'll get to uh, some Marvin Wilson talk. And obviously I want to, you know, pick Connor's brain because as hard as I've been on the Jets the last couple of years, I think they actually finally had themselves a great weekend. And I really feel that there is a great pure plan in place for the New York Jets. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, and all your UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams. Get, pre- uh, get prepped for their runs in the playoffs. Bet online, your online sports book experts. What is your favorite built bar? When you think of built bar and you talk to any built bar fan, they are passionate about any one of their nine delicious flavors, including some that come back sometimes in a limited role. If you don't know the built bar flavors well, you are missing out. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, Mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. So there's a little something for everyone. As everybody knows, mint brownie, my favorite. It's got a little bit of that Girl Scout cookie taste to it. Just fantastic. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you should get a mixed box. And you will get two of each of their nine flavors, total of 18. Not only are Built Bars the best tasting, they are healthy too. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and only four grams net carbs. Order today and get that raspberry or mint brownie or whatever you like. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, all caps on LOCKED, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Again, the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Now, Connor... For the second year in a row, your boy here was able to nab early in the process and predict a third-round pick for your Cleveland Browns. I did it last year with Jacob Phillips. I did it early in the process this year with one Anthony Schwartz. You look at this Browns wide receiver room, and I think anybody who tried to you know, knock Baker Mayfield last year didn't truly understand that he was working with limited vertical presence within his passing game. Without Odell Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, kind of interchangeable. Donovan Peoples-Jones was good in a limited capacity, and I think the Browns handled his development perfectly as a sixth-round rookie. Kaderil Hodge can do some of those things. He's never going to be a forefront of the wide receiver room, and he was in and out almost three weeks in, in for three weeks, out for three weeks, in for three weeks. They needed, and the NFL is such a copycat league. And he brought up the Buffalo Bills. The Bills, Browns, it's a similar situation. What do we need to do to not only compete with the Kansas City Chiefs, but take the Kansas City Chiefs down? You look, and there was there were a couple, but there was one guy. I mean, the, he should have been last year at this time, I mean, sorry, last year in the summer, training for the Olympics. Literally, that is where Anthony Schwartz was supposed to be. But obviously, all that got hold, uh, halted by COVID. Straight, pure speed. 427 is 427. There is no way around it. He literally comes into this room and he's probably the fastest wide receiver by 
if it's not two tenths of a second, it's three tenths of a second, somewhere in between. He comes in with a legit flavor that this wide receiver room doesn't happen. And Baker Mayfield had a reputation coming into this league, Connor, and we saw it with Rashard Perriman, of all people. He can throw the deep ball. But if you can't get deep, you're taking something away. So he had to be so perfect within a box because they were literally playing a passing game that was 25 yards at best. Yeah, I think when you look at it, Jeff, it, it's just it's fascinating to me. You know, when I went into this draft looking at the Browns, the vertical threat was right at the top there. We had talked about Diami Brown to them in round two, but I think you could see that maybe that would be rich for them. You could see the strategy with the draft was kind of look at it and see how the board falls. Corner in round one made a lot of sense. Uh, getting some speed in the middle of the field at some point with those first two picks makes a lot of sense. But then you're looking at, you know, hey, can we capitalize on a deep wide receiver class at some point on day two of the draft? Now, Schwartz is interesting to me because he's the classic case of you, you nailed it. I mean, he truly had to make an, a decision amongst himself. Am I going to give the NFL everything I got or am I going to give Olympic training everything I got? And it was truly a situation where, you know, he, he kind of had to pick. Right. Like it's not you, you can't just. There are guys, we saw DK Metcalf run an unbelievable heat, really, you know, which is just remarkable. I know people like almost clowned him, which is insane how well he ran. But you just, you can't really do both. It's so hard to do. And with Schwartz, he's publicly always kind of said, I'm, I'm a football player. I want to play football. And that is a tough decision for any young guy. And I think at times it created wild expectations for him at the college level, right? Where he was always billed as like, Hey, he's four twos kind of speed. He can really, really, he's Mr. Big play. And you watch the film at Auburn and it's not that he, he doesn't take over games, but he's also in a situation where they never really had the guy in their center that could utilize a player like him. So he's truly a projection player, right? He's someone that, in an, in an NFL offense with a guy with a bigger arm than what he had at Auburn and Baker Mayfield, a much bigger arm, are we going to see an Anthony Schwartz that we were just hoping for year after year at Auburn? That's what I wonder. I wonder how NFL teams look at that situation and, and do they do they have to project some of that into their evaluations, of course. And he's somebody that are you just going to try to get the ball in his hands as well? Do you, are you going to call screens for him? Are you going to call jet sweeps for him? So Really interesting pick in my eyes. Not surprised this is where he went. I think I had him right around here. I know he went like 91st. I think I had him around like 104. I'd have to go back and look. But that's kind of speed. It's just something that teams are always going to bet on, especially when it was underutilized at the college level. And, you know, the good thing is here, too, with the Browns, he's not coming in. And we're in an era where day two receivers are asked to start all the time, right? They're mm -hmm. always one injury away from start. He's in a situation where he, he's not – his role should be very clearly defined of what they want to utilize him for. So this one, it makes a lot of sense. Brown's adding a wide receiver. You know, it's crazy to call round three early, but in this year, in this era of the NFL draft, round three capital is still significant capital. It makes a lot of sense for them to get a year ahead on that wide receiver room, possibly seeing some change over the next two years. Yeah, and you know, over 400 yards rushing in his time at Auburn. Exactly. Uh, you know, Browns were doing this with Jarvis Landry, obviously nowhere near the <laughs> you know the threat of you know foot speed that Anthony Schwartz is. And you know what I'm trying to explain to uh, you know the listeners here is 
look, you know, there's no expectations for him to be Tyreek Hill, and that's fine. But if you can get that McCole Hardman effect, look, he's on the field. It's four two seven, and there's a safety lined up one on one. He's screaming and yelling, going, "This doesn't work. This is not going to work. I am not going to be the guy who's going to get toasted by him." This is an issue here, which just makes everything so much easier for your wide receivers to get open, especially your ones who are not a fleet of foot. Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins. It opens up things for the tight ends. And the Browns, as much as they invested in the tight end position for 2020, they certainly did not get the return. That's what happens when you can't challenge vertically. And then you talk about the players coming out of the backfield and these easy dump-offs where there's nobody there because they have to – somebody's got to pay attention to the fact that you know somebody's 45, 50 yards down the field, and they probably have to put two guys there because they got a high and low him because he is that fast. Always when – your roster gets deep and you know, the Browns, obviously their offensive line is fantastic as it is. Um, but as you mentioned with the wide receiver room, there's possibility some changes could be coming, not for this season, but down the road here. Um, I believe, you know, Hudson was obviously somebody that they just truly, truly liked Bill Callahan. Obviously they felt they had a great match there to maybe take that player to another level. And then Tommy Togi, I, these are players who didn't have a ton of collegiate experience and certainly as far as starters, but they have traits and they have things that you like. And the thing is, is unlike years past for the Cleveland Browns, you're drafted on day three. You're not essentially counted on right away. Dear day three, a couple of years ago for the Cleveland Browns. Guess what? You walked in the door as the starter. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Talk about a different era. And you're exactly right with Hudson draft and stash tackle. Uh, really good feet. Really makes a lot of sense for zone blocking schemes. He can get out of his stance and get where he needs to be. You could use him on the move. You could use him as a puller, uh, getting to the second level and climbing to linebackers. You know, he's somebody that's just had an interesting college career where the whole transfer situation from Michigan, and then he didn't get to play right away for Cincinnati when he thought he would. And then he has the year at Cincinnati. And then we're kind of robbed of seeing him against Ojalari in his final game because I believe he was ejected. And that would have been some yes. – That I mean, that guy, if, if let's – you know, Ojalari, I think, had three sacks in the second half of that game. In a different world, what and this is you know projecting, but what if Hudson shuts him out? Does that project him into the top 50 picks? That's the crazy things that could happen with the NFL draft. And he had a good showing at the senior bowl as well. I think when you look at Hudson, you know, the questions I always got back from scouts is is he gonna put his head down and and be ready to work to carve out the type of player he can be, right? Because we know the raw talent is there, we know the raw athleticism is there, even though he did not test like that, it shows up on film, it shows up with the senior bowl practice reps. And you just want him to get stronger and stronger in pass protection as well, like literally stronger, not just better at pass protecting, but actually a more defined anchor and hand usage. So, you know, once again, draft and stash tackle. You nailed it, Jeff. It's nice when you could take a player and not have to have them be a savior for a round four pick. <laughs> now, I'll say this. I think Togi can come in and live on an NFL, NFL field just fine right away. He does not get moved. He has very strong hands. He understands leverage, very strong at the point of the attack, uh, very strong on the bench press, 40 reps. So, so, you know, this guy is somebody that just lives and breathes lifting. And, and he's, you know, a little bit of a different body for a defensive lineman, a little bit more short and compact. But sometimes those guys have a better time winning in the in, interior of the trenches because they're low to the ground. And you see it with him. The leverage is so good. He's just very impressive against the run. And I think for the Browns, they know that you have these dudes up front that can pin their ears back and go and get after the quarterback. So it's kind of a change of place, a change of pace player for them. It was, hey, we just need somebody on the field for early downs, we think. And 
you know, he's going to be a little bit more effort and a little bit more motor when you need him to rush the passer. So I think he's a rotational player pretty early, to be honest with you, if there's room for him to get on the field. So to- totally different picks, a complete draft and stash offensive lineman that definitely needs some refinement, but has a lot of talent versus a rotational defensive lineman that has a clearly cut defined role. And it's interesting within that defensive tackle room, because right now I don't think, you know, there's great depth to it, but I don't think, you know, we could all, it, it, it's almost kind of like, you know, it's like a blind raffle. Everybody gets a ticket. You don't know between Togi. You don't know between Jordan Elliott, Andrew Billings with the year off. They obviously brought in Malik Jackson, uh, Malik McDowell's here for God's sakes, which is still crazy to think about after all these years who hear in that name when it resurfaced. That is nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you want to talk about the most unalytic, unanalytical move you could possibly be. It, it is Malik McDowell because everything says no, 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 no. But, hey, you know, look, when you hit on a lot of things, you're granted every now and then to say, hey, we're going to buck the trend somewhere. And obviously they did that Malik McDowell. And not a lot was brought up about this weekend that he was there at rookie camp. His name wasn't brought up by those who were there. So we're not really sure what that is or what it could be. But, you know, hey, you know, if you do good things, you're allowed to gamble every now and then. One more I want to get to from day three. And I don't know if it's it's the weirdest thing. I don't know if it's because his time at UCLA was split between being a receiver, being a running back. Mobile, down there at Senior Bowl, played more as a wide receiver. Um, the pro day, and as far as the athletic testing, did not go very well. But Demetric Felton and the things I see just running back wise, he comes in here. And if you look at him as a James White type of type of player, his route running from the running back position and look, Kareem Hunt, you know, that's one of his calling cards. But Felton just looks smoother, quicker. It was a weird, weird scenario for Demetric Felton. Do you think the fact that he was so versatile in college combined with the pro day may have caused him to end up being somebody that went in round six? Yeah, definitely. He's an interesting one to me, right? So he went at 211. I had him at 201. So this value completely checks out. No problem using a pick on the player. The, the athletic testing was a- abysmal and kind of shocking. I don't think that's the player he is. I wasn't expecting straight line speed because a lot of these running backs don't have it. But I just think he's more agile than the testing numbers showed. It's actually truly bizarre, especially at that size. Now, yep. like you said, Jeff, there are clear traits there as a pass catcher, and that's all that matters for him. When you're a sixth-round running back, you're not drafted to be often. You're not drafted to be a three-down player. You're drafted, are you an early work, uh, workhorse runner on you know, first and second downs? Are you a third-down back that can catch the ball or pass protect? Hopefully a little bit of both. I think with Felton, you, know, you brought up Kareem Hunt. It's always interesting to see how teams get ahead. The Browns are clearly a team that feels good about their roster and felt like they can get ahead. Draft and stash James Hudson, right? You look at, you know, I like the Tony Fields pick a lot, by the way. Um, and then well, he was my at, other one because I think he yeah. can be similar to JOK as well. And look, yes. if you really like somebody in that role, then you want another guy who's capable of that role. God forbid something happens to one of them. Exactly. And really, he'll be good on special teams right away as well, which they'll love him for that. Now, with Felton, you know, what if Kareem Hunt? isn't here next year right I, I you would love to have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt as one and twos for a long time it the world doesn't always work that way especially with running back contracts so can you get Felton to be this pass catching kind of runner that he has experience in the slot I mean that's how mm-hmm. diverse his, his pass catching ability is so played in the slot can play in the backfield you can hand him the ball he's very reliable pass catcher He's just this kind of, you know, how teams have used Ty Montgomery a little bit all over the place, a little bit like that. 
So th those guys are useful. I mean, they really are, especially if you can get them to play specials. If you could find a third down role for them, you need a lot of bodies in the backfield in camp and during the regular season. So you're always one injury away from having the next guy up in that kind of pass catching role. And I think Felton, while the testing is so disappointing, I think the film has, has really done justice for him that you know what kind of player you're getting. See, for me, Felton, I go to the, and this is a popular one, it's the 94-yard uh, you know, Texas route against Washington State. And yes, I know for the 100th time, Washington State wasn't very good. The route was perfect. And then you rumble 80 yards, and there's agility to it. There is some juice, you know, in the legs. Um, <clears throat> obviously, the savvy of, you know, understanding that defenders are around you. And, and as you brought up with Kareem Hunt, look, if something can work out, where they can find a favorable number to keep Nick Chubb around for a couple of years, all of a sudden you're not going to say, well, well, we got Nick at, you know, let's just say 10, for instance. We don't want to pay Kareem six and a half. Well, now we have it's two running backs for 17 right? million. Yeah. No, it's certainly not cost feasible. So, you know, and then you say, all right, well, we have, you know, him and, you know, we can always find somebody else to, as you said, do the early down work. God forbid something were to happen for the Nick and he misses a little bit of time. Um, but again, you know, when you get in this situation, you're looking for things and it's, and it's funny because the Ernest Johnson who showed some things last year, the Browns are going to have a nice situation, you know, this year where one of the biggest camp battles is who's going to win the third running back. And this is so refreshing to see, because it is certainly something we are not used to here. We're going to get to a little bit more here just with Connor. I want to talk a little, uh, jets. We're going to talk a little bit Marvin Wilson, get Connor's thoughts on those things. We'll get right to that in just one second. Whether you are a professional or you are an amateur who has YouTube and now knows how to take care of your car, rockauto.com has you taken care of because they serve everybody. They do not require an account login or membership, which is a great thing with rockauto.com. Their website is easy, simple to navigate. You can search your car, the parts, specifications by engine, model, LX, RX, DX, whatever you need. The prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, and they are the same, again, for professionals or do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same auto parts? Go to rockauto.com right now. In their how-did-you-hear-about-us box, type in Locked On so they know the folks here, we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Connor, we've talked during the you know draft, draft process, everybody, how were these players who opted out going to be viewed? Marvin Wilson didn't opt out. Probably talking about a player who maybe should have opted out the way his year went. And again, when you get to this position where it's, you know, late in round seven, most of the time it's advantageous to not get drafted. Obviously, there's something there the Browns really, really like. Um, they know his agent well as Agent Nicole Lynn also represents the Browns left tackle, Jedrick Wills. So obviously they were able to speak with her, get, uh, you know, in depth. He ends up getting a nice undrafted free agent deal. Uh, similar to what the Browns gave last year to A.J. Green at Oklahoma State, somebody that could surface this year as a player or not. We'll see. But Marvin Wilson, this is a guy, Connor, almost 20 months ago, people were talking about is a slam dunk round one defensive tackle prospect. It's pretty crazy, isn't it, how things change? I, I was pretty shocked by the undrafted. I'll say that. I had him at 126 overall. 
And I thought I was low on him. I mean, he was somebody that people talked about as a first rounder last summer and second rounder. You know, I know the testing didn't go his way. The season didn't go his way. I feel bad for some of the Florida state guys because some of them really toughed it out through a lot of turmoil there. Like him and and Mm -hmm. him and Nasrul Dean were two guys that jumped out to me. They kind of took on leadership roles and, and never really wavered and, they both, I mean, it's crazy, Jeff. Like Marvin goes undrafted. Nasruddin goes in the sixth round. I know some of that's injury, but even with that, they're way more talented players than those projections. Now, I think he'll make the Browns. I think he'll be, you know, the the most discussed UDFA to come out of this entire draft class. I think he's somebody that, you know, he plays with a high motor. He plays with good energy. He's not the biggest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. But he just gets it done on the field. He's got strong hands. He's very powerful. He's hard-nosed kind of guy. He'll play where you ask him to play. If you want him to play shade nose, if you want him to play three-tech, you want him to play five-tech, he can move around the defensive line. So do I ever think he'll be this superstar player? Or You don't know. But is he an absolutely an NFL caliber backup defensive tackle that can be a rotational piece? Absolutely. So very surprised by it. Uh, the, the league is strange. I don't know. You know, I would guess some of it is the testing, and I guess the other bit of it was, hey, he's not coming off a year where we thought he was at his best. But other than that, it's it's just very difficult to figure out. But like you said, the Browns came out. They used the relationship uh, to get the contract done. They used a, a big chunk of the UDFA portion to get this contract done because they feel like with Marvin Wilson – They got a sixth rounder in the UDFA period. Now, another thing that happens with this, if you're Marvin, you don't really want to get picked in the sixth or seventh round because you want to go somewhere that you feel like you're going to be well-coached, well-received, well-liked to make the roster and have a role and not just be a camp body. So I think at the end of the day, it's crazy to say this, but once he didn't go in the fourth or fifth round, it's actually turned into a situation that was good for both sides. You know, and, and I, I totally agree. And, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Agent Nicole Lane, you know, she's a Quinn Williams agent as well. And, you know, her players seem to, you know, they just, she gets them right. And look, if you can relight the lamp in the pilot light is what I keep saying with Marvin Wilson. If you can relight that and get him back to what he was in this player we were talking about, you know, 14, 20 months ago, you may have found, found yourself an absolute gem. Connor, I took a lot of heat about this time a year ago and into the summer um, my old Jets fans, and obviously, you know, you know, as deep as I am in the Browns coverage now, and they, I, was like, I just don't see it, and I'm sorry, and it, and everybody coming after me, I just didn't see it. It wasn't there with that team they were about to, you know, put out to battle. But I think with what they've done, you know, free agent wise, um, I, look, if Zach Wilson, if they truly think Zach Wilson's the guy, you you, you have to believe that. Um, yeah, I I love, I think Salah's attitude and just the way he carries himself is going to be infectious. You you listen to these San Francisco 49 players talk about him and, and they extremely feel the same way. And he, they just, you know, he's got a vibe that just attracts and motivates and players go there after all this time, Connor. And it's been, it's been a rough, it's been a rough time and, you know, getting away from Adam Gase and whatever that was, and, you know, for Sam Donald, it was you know probably just time to move on for all sides involved. Then you do the smart thing. You don't do something that Cincinnati did and says, oh, we'll get another wide receiver. You get Zach Wilson. You say, you want to know what? We need another, another piece here on this offensive line. If we want this kid to succeed, we need to put him in position to succeed. 
And they just, it, it literally, they just seem to be like, well, he's still here. Well, that's stupid. We'll take him. And they just seem to click and pound players off the board, uh, whether it was day one, day two, or day three. Yeah, it's, you know, it's crazy when you, you're absolutely right, too, when you look at it from the fact that it, what was there to be excited about in the previous era, right? I mean, he, the coach obviously was a tough, uh, tough start from the get go. And, you know, with Sam, it was, they just, it, Sam. What world own, would they ever think Adam Gase and Le'Veon Bell were going to coexist? It's it's just crazy. The dysfunction, which has been the problem of the Jets for this playoff list decade. Their dysfunction amongst ownership between the front office, between the coaching staff. That's the issue is that there's just dysfunction between those three. And it feels like they finally have them aligned and you can kind of see it. You don't have to be a genius to read through it, right? They, you know, as much as they really liked Sam, they knew they had to reset the salary cap on the quarterback situation, especially if there was a player that they valued the talent or because they valued the player's talent in Zach Wilson. And then they align it with, you know, now you have an era where Joe Douglas has his head coach and has his quarterback and they're building an offense for that quarterback. They go up and get Elijah Vera Tucker. They got Elijah Moore. They signed Corey Davis knowing they were going to draft Zach Wilson, a back shoulder ball thrower down the field. That's a, Corey Davis is a contested catch player. They're running a wide zone rushing attack with Mike LaFleur. Well, they got two really, really good run blocking wide receivers in Denzel Mims and Corey Davis. And you just kind of see finally the puzzle pieces are actually matching up a little bit with the Jets for the first time in a while. Where are they going to make the playoffs this year? No, that's that's not fair to, to ask that of, of Robert Sala in year one. But are they going to put out a competitive football team week after week that's building on something for 2022? I really think so. And, and that as a whole. Sure, I, you could like this player, like that player, and I did with the Jets draft a lot. But the actual plan from a wide lens is what is the most promising about the whole thing. Yeah, I was just – and I sat there all week and, and all weekend, and I was just, wow, they just seem to be picking it apart. And you look at Mims, Moore, and obviously Corey Davis, you know, three great weapons. Um, you know, the, the, the two Michael Carters, which is going to be interesting because I'm sure that's going to get botched all over New York radio left and right. I'm sure there's going to be some moron who doesn't realize, you know, that there's actually two of them. <laughs> two players. Them. Exactly. Yeah. They're going to think, oh, wow, this, look at this guy. He plays both sides of the ball. That's fantastic. Especially with them, I think, choosing Jersey 30 and 32, which, you know, should be, you know, quite, uh, you know, absolutely you know, due to, you know, bring some laughs in that respect. Um, it's been a blast, uh, folks. This is Connor Rogers, uh, you know, from Bleacher Report. Connor is, you know, the opportunities just continue to be put on his plate. He steps up, takes them, crushes them. It's just fantastic to see he continues to grow his brand, grow his product, and does it the right way. It, you know, hard work, nose to the ground, and to watch where he's you know gone and the heights he's going to, and there's going to be more. Trust me, folks. There's going to be more for Connor Rogers. There's no doubt about it. Connor, me, you, Squan Tavern, sometime soon. Absolutely, Jeff. Man, now you're speaking my language. I cannot wait for the shore to be the shore this summer. Uh, Leggett, Squan Tavern, wherever it may be, beach house. Dude, I am ready, and and I appreciate you having me. It's always great to catch up with you, man, for real. I love what you're doing with the show. I know the Browns fans love this show, and it's just been awesome to watch, and it, it's always good to BS with you, man. Oh, no, you know that, but you know that. So make sure you are following at Connor Rogers, Connor with an O, and obviously check everything out, uh, whether it is with the uh, turn on the Jets, uh, of course, through Bleacher Report, and, you know, obviously his opportunities here now with SNY TV, you know, here in the tri-state area. Uh, me personally, at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. The show at Locked On Browns, follow back account. DMs are open. Whether it is Spotify, 
whether it is Odyssey and whenever, whenever Apple iTunes gets their butt together and gets the feed corrected, make sure you're following, make sure you're subscribed, leaving those five-star ratings, written reviews. This has been your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound. LGB on the LLB. Let's go, Brown.